Schaefer. Man, the Schaefers are doing it all today. It's pretty cool. Good. Uh, kids, you can head out to uh, children's worship. I see a lot of hands wiping noses. So it's going to be a good day in children's worship. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. Uh, hey, we, we have one other quick uh, presentation to make. Uh, uh, I guess it is a time of transition at uh, the end of the year, and we have another uh, staff transition uh, to uh, celebrate. Uh, Janice, would you come down here? Janice Bricker? Joe, you can come with her if you want to or not, whatever you want to do. <laughs> okay. Uh, I love Janice Bricker. She has served this church faithfully now over 10 years, right? Yeah. So uh, uh, she's not leaving. Uh, she's doing something that uh, is very goal-oriented that I'm shooting for. She's retiring, <laughs> which is awesome, right? So uh, she has served us as a counselor and as a friend uh, all these years. They're not going anywhere. Uh, she will teach and write, and we will still be blessed by her ministry. Uh, and But I, I won't get to, to see her uh, uh, in the office and commiserate with someone who's old. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're retiring, right? So, uh, uh, no. None of that. So uh, now I'll be the old one in there. So that's, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a problem. Yeah, I admit. So um, we love you. And, uh, I, you know, you have honored us. Uh, but more than that, uh, you've honored Jesus and what you've done here these years. And uh, we rejoice with you in this transition. So here's a little gift. And then I'm going to pray for you. Lord, thanks so much for our fellowship in you. Uh, we count it a privilege uh, to be known by you and to be loved by you and to be together uh, in you. And so uh, thanks so much for this dear sister. She means a lot to me, but she means more, so much more to you. You lived, died, and rose again for her. You've gifted her and graced her with much. So bless her and Joe as uh, they make this transition. Uh, meet them in every way and give them everything they need. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So as uh, Kevin mentioned, uh, today uh, we're going to look at this passage from Matthew chapter 11 uh, that speaks to us about uh, uh, an aspect of Jesus that uh, we tend not to think about very much because it's uncomfortable. Uh, And that is that Jesus is our scandal. A very timely message, I think, uh, given the day and age in which we live. So let me read to you this morning, Matthew chapter 11, uh, verses 2 through 11. That text is in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. 
And as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So Advent is a great season of anticipation and celebration. Um, And one of the things that uh, we must see about that is that each one of these Sundays, each one of these weeks, at least historically, historically for the church, has been a time to um, emphasize an aspect of this. Today, uh, in the old Latin calendar, this Sunday is named Gaudete, which means rejoice. Let us rejoice. And with that, the traditional reading for that Sunday is the one I just read to you about John the Baptist being in prison, about to be beheaded. Right? Go ahead and put my notes up, Scott. You should begin to sense a little irony in that. We know how this story ends. Right? And so as we look at this, as we think about this today, this is a great time for us to probe and to plumb just a little bit the depths of what it means uh, for us to celebrate and to rejoice the coming of this one who is our deliverer. And so as we, as we look at this, as we think about this today, I want you to, to, to uh, uh, bear with me as we look a little bit at the context of what's going on here uh, in, in this uh, text the situation that Jesus and John and John's disciples find themselves in. And then we'll look at the words that Jesus says uh, to uh, John's disciples to help us decipher a little bit uh, about the nature uh, uh, and how uh, high and wide and deep the love of God is uh, for his people. And so what we see here in this text is, is that things are falling apart. Now, just imagine if you have have left your home, your family, your job and connected yourself, hitched your wagon to someone who you think is great, to someone whom you think is uh, going to be a dynamic force for change in your culture. And now suddenly here they are languishing in a prison because they challenged the powers that be. They said to the king, you are an adulterer. And so now this one is in prison. So what does John do? Now, many people over the years have looked at this text and looked at John and think, wow, John is having a crisis of faith. John must be thinking, really, what's going on here? I, I did all this. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. And here I am in prison. What is happening? If this Jesus is really the Messiah, then, then what would, would, how can this possibly be? Well, listen, I, I, as I've, and I've probably preached this passage like that. I don't really think that's what's going on. I think somebody's in crisis, but I think it's John's disciples. And I'll tell you why I think that. Did John know that Jesus was the Messiah? 
did he? He knew it before he was born. When Mary comes to visit John's mother, Elizabeth, the second she speaks, what happens? John leaps in her womb because he hears that voice. He knows exactly who that is. One day, John is out baptizing in the Jordan River. And what does he say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John does what any good pastor does. In fact, what any good Christian does when he is confronted with someone who is troubled and, and, and put upon by sin and oppression and the difficulties of life, when they come at him with those questions, does he answer them? No, he sends them to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Take it up with him. Talk to him. Let him be the one to address this. After all, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And by the way, we hear those words and they sound so sweet to us. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What did that sound like to a first century Jewish person? You know what the Lamb was? Not some cute little beast, but the one whose throat was cut and then roasted and consumed. So it's not out of the ordinary that this man who is in prison for telling the truth would be associated with one who himself would be bled out and consumed by the sin of his people. And so John sends his disciples to Jesus and Jesus, they ask him, are you the one? Or should we look for another? Well, this is what Jesus says to them. Scott, next, next, uh, next slide. He says, listen, the blind, you tell him that the blind, rather than saying I am the Messiah, he says, you tell him that the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. These are all Old Testament indicators that say to us that this is how you will know the Messiah. When someone comes on the scene and he does these things, you will know that he's the one. You will know that he's the Messiah. You will know that this is the one who has been promised to be your deliverer. And he goes on to say, and blessed is he who who does not take offense at me. Blessed is he who is not offended at me. Now, listen. Who in their right mind is offended by people who make deaf people hear? Who in their right mind is offended at the people who can make the blind see? Who in their right mind is offended at someone who can cleanse lepers? Who in their right mind is it would be be offended at someone who raises the dead? And you know exactly what I'm getting at here, because the truth of the matter is uh, the witness of the church is never offensive when we are doing these things. Who can complain? Who can can say that the church is failing when the church spends itself in meeting the physical needs of the world around it? And we should. And we should. And we should. Just as Jesus did. But you have to look at this list 
And you have to say that one of the things that Jesus is doing is not like the other ones. And that's where the offense comes. Go back, Scott. Everybody's looking. Which one is it? (laughs) The poor have good news preached to them. That's not like the others, is it? Because the poor, and, 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 and if you're, if those of you who are religious aren't reacting this way. Those of you who are non-religious are probably thinking, what a waste of time. Poor people don't need good news. They need food. They need health care. They need shelter. And those things are important. And those needs matter. There's a scandal. There's an offense. But what Jesus says to us is, and he says to John's disciples is, listen, the the, the good news is being proclaimed to those who are poor. Next slide. So, so, you know, one of the things that you have to see about this is that, that that is one of the many offenses of what Jesus comes to do and to say. Now, we think of Jesus as non-offensive, don't we? We we like a Jesus who doesn't come and challenge. We like a Jesus who is comfortable. We like a Jesus who only speaks to us in soft tones and never comes at us and puts his finger on anything in our lives, right? That's the kind of Jesus we like. And so when we hear this word scandal, and that's what Jesus meant when he said, uh, blessed is he who doesn't take offense at me, that word there, offense, is the word we use for scandal, Now, what happens to people when they're scandalized? If you're following somebody and they do something you don't like and you are scandalized by them, what happens is you fall away from them. You no longer follow them, right? Because you don't, suddenly they are not who you thought they were and there's something about their character or about their activity that doesn't fit. And so you decide, you know what? I'm not going to follow them anymore. So what does the person who does the scandal the, the person who is scandalizing people, what do they do when their scandal comes out? They try to figure out how to manage the scandal so that people will still follow them. And so even Jesus says, listen, listen, blessed is he who is not scandalized, who doesn't get tripped up, who doesn't fall away, who doesn't stumble because of me. Now, the, the fact of the matter is, this may seem kind of out of left field to us, but the, the truth of the matter is, This was predicted about Jesus from his dedication in the temple. We saw at the nine o'clock service a baptism, beautiful little girl get baptized. And what would it have been like if Kevin, as he placed the water on that child, said, this little girl is going to cause a lot of scandal and cause a lot of people to stumble. And then looked at her mother and said, Jess, you know what else? Your heart's going to be broken because of this little girl. That's what Simeon said as he held that baby in the temple. This baby is going to cause the rising and falling of so many in Israel, right? So, so as we look at this, as we, as we unpack that, as we, as we think about that, the, the fact is from the very beginning, scandal followed Jesus. And, and, and we read about him speaking, especially when he pushes the gospel and pushes the gospel and proclaims the reality of his salvation. People fall away. No one falls away when you're feeding them. 
No one falls away when you are healing them. No one falls away. And yet that's what happens, right? Now, what's interesting about this is, is that it, it, part of the scandal that we see in this is, is not only is that Jesus is, is doing these things, he's healing the sick, he's raising the dead, he's causing the deaf to, to hear and the blind to see, he's healing lepers, he's doing all these things that profoundly indicate who he is. And yet, and yet, John languishes in a prison. Jesus could have said to those disciples, you know what? abracadabra or whatever magic words he wanted to say and wave his hands and the chains could have fallen off of John and he could have walked out of that prison. But you see, that's the scandal there too because what we know about John and what Jesus knew about John and what he was trying to teach their disciples, his disciples was this. John may be in prison and John may be about to be beheaded, but I want you to know that John the Baptist is not shaking. He's no reed in the wind. He's not one who seeks comfort. In fact, this John the Baptist, he may be the freest man in Palestine because he knows the truth and he's resting in that and he has entrusted himself to this God who loves him. And so as we hear this, as we see this, one of the scandals that you that you have to see. Next slide, please, Scott, is that 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 our expectations of Jesus are unmet. We, we hear these things about Jesus coming and him making the world right and, and renewing us and changing us. And all of those things are true. And yet we live in a world just like John did, where he is facing the possibility of an unjust death. Often, I think the way we, one of the reasons why the, the gospel is so scandalous to people, because it would be better, but more marketable, certainly, right? If we could say to people, you know what the gospel is? You know what Jesus came to do? You know what Advent prepares us for? Your best life now. <laughs> right? Because the fact of the matter is that is what that is what we tend to focus our attention on. The Apostle Paul said, listen, if we are entrusting ourselves to Christ for this life only, then we are to be most pitied. And John certainly should be pitied because here he is languishing in a prison and he's going to die. And this Jesus who can do all this is not getting him out. Do you ever wonder... Um, if God needs to go back to school and get an MBA to learn how to manage things a bit better. You see, I think the, what I can tell you today about these sorts of things and the nature of the work that Jesus has done and that he does do is uh, I can tell you that if you are in Christ today, whatever prison you're in, whatever disease you're facing, whatever difficulty you may be, whatever broken relationships, whatever may be plaguing you today, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. It might not work the way you thought it would, and your expectations might not be met. Which is funny, that's the way we are, right? That, um, uh, one of the things that uh, when you reach a certain age like me, one of the things that you do, and this will drive your children crazy, is for a few days a, or a couple of times during the week, you look at the weather channel. <laughs> okay. I was watching the weather channel this week, and they've started giving the odds on a white Christmas, right? And we're like, white Christmas, Yes. 
as long as it doesn't interfere with my plans and my travel, and certainly I don't want to lose power. <laughs> right? Right? It's funny how we, we approach those things, and funny how we, we think about life like that, right? But the fact of the matter is, what, what we put our hope in and what our faith resides in is not that everything's going to be great here and now and that all of my diseases here and now will be uh, healed and that, that Jesus is going to get me out of the prison for doing the thing that I was supposed to do all along in the first place. No, our hope, our rejoicing is in something bigger, deeper, more profound. You see, Jesus continues to not meet our expectations. Why does violence remain in the world? Why do the corrupt maintain power while the weak are abused? Why does sickness infect our bodies? Sorrow infect our hearts? Brokenness infect our families? Jesus is called Savior, but he doesn't seem to be very good at it. Well, like I said, there's certainly no offense As long as you are healing me, as long as you are affirming me, and as long as you are uh, bonusing me, as long as you are doing all those things, we're just fine. But the second you say to me, you know what? You need good news more than all of those things. I begin to stumble and I begin to trip up because Jesus and I are going to have an argument about what I and this world really needs. The second offense that we see in this is that, that Jesus says that he's preaching the good news to the poor. Now, now who, who are the poor? Well, you have to think about what this poverty is. Poverty is not merely lack of money, but the lack of help and comfort. When you lose all hope in institutions and people or yourself, Uh, When you realize that there's no help to be found in your efforts or ethics, that no doctor or therapist or pastor can fix your deepest problems, into this impoverishment steps Jesus who gives you the greatest good news. In me, you have a gracious and merciful God. I am making all things new. By my cross, you will have healing. You see, that is our hope and that is the thing that we bank uh, our uh, our lives upon that is the thing in which that we entrust ourselves to because the fact of the matter is just like jesus goes to that cemetery that day and he raises lazarus from the dead how profound how marvelous how how stunning it is and yes it is and at the same time i'm here to tell you that lazarus will die again In the sure hope that one day he'll walk out of that tomb and never turn back. Praise God. So what exactly is the nature of this good news uh, that Jesus is proclaiming? And why does it cause people to stumble both in the church and outside? Again, let me date myself. I came across an article this week. Please bear with me by a guy who used to be on uh, the cable news network on CNN named Larry King. I think Larry King's still alive. I don't, I don't know. They probably, he might be dead and they might just be propping him up in front of a camera. I don't know. I think he's had like 10 heart attacks and six cancers or something like that. I mean, he's been around forever. Well, and he used to interview people. And he would often interview religious people. He would interview Billy Graham and people like that. And he would ask them questions to make them uncomfortable 
and to drive ratings. Okay? Two questions he used to often uh, ask. So Larry King would say, first, the first question he was asked, is Jesus the only way to God? Now, you can imagine what that's going to do to people when they hear that, right? You pompous. You think you're better than everybody else? You think you got it knocked? You think you're superior in some way? You think Christians are like that? That's exactly it, right? So this was Larry's way of seeing if the Christian representative would insist on the uniqueness of Jesus, no matter how offensive that claim might have come across in a pluralistic world. You mean good people from other religions might be condemned. Uh, Years ago, uh, in one of the very first small groups we did here at church, uh, there was a guy, there was a guy in the group, big guy, scary guy, who was not a Christian. And I was using as an example one night, not really paying attention to what I was doing, the fact that there was a notorious serial killer who had been executed that week, who apparently, and witnesses said this might have been true, became a Christian before he was executed. And I said, you know, I guess that guy will be in heaven. (laughs) And my friend stood up from across the room and he said, wait just a minute. You mean to tell me that guy gets there and I don't? He was ready to fight. And so I knew it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. Because the gospel's offending him. But for many of us, that's probably probably not that hard, right? The second question came from a different angle. Could a serial killer or someone like Hitler or a rapist or a pedophile receive forgiveness and wind up in heaven? This was Larry's way of seeing if the Christian representative would insist on the offer of grace, no matter how offensive that pronouncement might come across in a world that demands justice. How ironic. In a world that demands justice about some things, but not others. You mean abhorrently wicked people might repent and be saved. I'm banking on it. Larry King is not a Christian. But he knows where the scandalous power of Christianity is found. It is in the narrowness, and we must insist on the universal, eternal condemnation for all sinners who fall short of God's glory and in the broadness of calling everyone to repent of their sins, trust in Christ, and be saved. You see, the gospel here scandalizes the world of the religious because I, am, I, I know myself, and I know you, and I know that in your mind there is the unacceptable. There is the untouchable. We may not have a caste system in our culture, but I believe that we do. I believe that every one of us carries around in our mind someone who, who is so odious that it, it, that, that it might tempt me to reject Jesus if Jesus loved that person and saved them. There's a whole book of the Bible about that. It's called the book of Jonah. We think Jonah doesn't go to Nineveh, 
because he's afraid. No, he tells God at the end, I know what kind of God you are. And I knew, in fact, that if I went and preached to them, some people would repent and believe. And that's why I didn't want to go, because I all want them to roast. The church must be unflinching in its naming of sin. And yet the church must also not shrink back from the call to repentance. Repentance is the hope-filled call of the gospel. Anyone can repent and be restored. Anyone. Herein lays the scandal of the gospel. Christians name evil for what it is, yet we also believe that evil desires and deeds can be confessed and overcome, that sin can be forgiven, and that people can be redeemed. The church is the peculiar society that insists that certain acts the world finds praiseworthy or sinful, while certain sins the world finds unforgivable can be wiped away. So the offense of the Christian gospel is twofold. We, we will seem narrow and strict when we insist on calling out sins, and yet we will seem too generous when we insist that anyone, no matter their past, can repent and be restored. Our stark vision of grace, of sin, is grace to the victim. Our call to repentance is grace to the offender. It is the bedrock of the gospel. In fact, it is in our creed that we believe in the forgiveness of sins. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. We believe it. We trumpet it. And we offend by it. When I was a kid, we used to sing this song. Uh, we liked songs in my church because we were angry Christians. And one of the, one of the th- we liked songs that you could march to. Right? And so one of the songs we used to march to is the song, To God Be the Glory. Great things he has done. And it's a great song. But there's a line in it that we probably shouldn't sing because we would be lying. And that is the vilest offender who truly believes. The vilest offender who truly believes. I can see by your faces that uh, my job is complete. The disciples prepared the Passover, and when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve, and they were reclining at the table. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank all of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's confess our sins together by using this confession that's printed uh, in the bulletin. Lord, you alone are full of grace and truth, but we have not kept watch for you. We have occupied ourselves with our own concerns. 
We have sought our own glory above yours. We have not waited to find your will for us. We have not noticed the needs of others around us. We have not acknowledged your favor and the love that you have shown us. Forgive us for our sins against you. Heavenly Father, help us to yield to the wisdom of your ways. Lord Jesus, lead us to live in light of your coming. Holy Spirit, give us faith to see that you are truly among us. Amen. Believer, hear these words of encouragement. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and he broke it just as I do now, ministering in his name, and then he gave it to his disciples. You will call his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. That is the clarion call. And in fact, in the end, that's what really matters. Uh, And so the truth is, when when we say the words, the name of Jesus, and we say it is sweet, it is sweet not because Jesus makes life comfortable or easy, but because he forgives me of my sins by the virtue of the fact that he lived my life, died my death, and rose again for me. We call him Jesus because he saves his people from their sins. If you have come to that place in your spiritual life where you have seen and tasted the scandal of the gospel, you've confessed that to a body of believers somewhere, then he says to you today, to come, to be renewed, to taste and see that he is good. Who's on your list? Who's on your list today of the people that if Jesus were to lay his hand on them and say, I died for this one too, you might be tempted to say, hmm, hmm. That's too much. We bank today. Our hope today is indeed that it is too much so that it can reach the vilest offender. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And we are the poor who need to hear it. As the elders come down front this morning to help me, let me remind you uh, that uh, the bread on either side of the platform is bread uh, that is gluten-free.